Hello everybody and welcome back to my podcast, uh, the Trauma of Abuse podcast. Um, I just thought I'd um, update you really on where I'm up to. Um, I'm having a lovely relaxing time after the Easter holidays. Um, it's really been quite nice with some lovely sunshine outside, so that, although we've still got some very chilly temperatures here. Um, and I thought I'd just take some time out of my day um, before I'm about to go back to work to let you know how I've been getting on. Um, I've written a little bit more about my experiences and I've included um, some descriptions and information that I thought you might find interesting. So I thought I'd just share those with you. So I'll just start from the beginning and I'll read it out to you. Chapter 1. I've already touched on one of women's biggest life traumas, childbirth. Also the ability to be a vessel for procreation or child production and how it impacts on us. It's far greater in a topic. Even if women choose not to have children or cannot have them, menstruational periods is a topic many teenagers or young, younger will have to tackle. Some, something it took me a while into adulthood and uh, beyond not to feel ashamed or embarrassed about. I hope that my son will be a kind, compassionate and educate himself, age 14, on this topic with as much self-acquisition and healthy curiosity as he does with most topics. One thing, though, which is worse than the physical attributes of being a woman is being attacked on our minds and lifestyles. One of the things we experience is being told who we are, what we are, what we have said, how we behave and who we should be what purpose we should serve, and what to say and think, how to dress, what to eat and how to please others, also known as abuse. This may not always be obvious to little girls and boys at first, though sometimes and often it starts in early childhood. Let me give some of the examples and touch on my own experiences. I am the oldest of two children two years apart and one school year, due to one being a September birthday and one August. My brother is treated as an equal in the home, different in nature, interests and character, but still an equal. Equality to men is something I don't aspire to, just for the record. However, I'll make that clearer as we go along. We both go to a private fee-paying school, junior school in the UK, called Kingsmead. It's a school set in green fields with a green uniform. Small class sizes, um, a Christian ethos, though internationally mixed and fairly quaint. This is a day school with some boarding optional and for foreign students. The school still had a majority of boys as pupils, although teachers were of an even mix of male to female ratio. This came from a long-standing tradition, I'm told, that boys would generally be paid for and sent there, whilst female siblings were not. However, I learned from one of the last summer speeches given before school closed down. The year my son, who I was had sent there, trans- transitioned into a new secondary school aged 11. That speech was by Nicola Horlick, a British investment fund manager born in 1960. She was also a female pupil there. 
As she told her story, I realised from her days there to mine in the 1980s, not much had actually changed. For example, girls were not permitted to play rugby at the school. Goodness knows why. They could play cricket, hockey, swim in the pool, etc. Girls were apparently sent to bake with the headmaster's wife. She enjoyed this and learnt some skills. However, my experience in the 80s watching rugby and knowing my dad, who I had a close relationship with, played rugby, I was quite taken aback. One games afternoon, I was told there was a choice um, that afternoon across the beautiful green fields overlooked by the headmaster's office, staff room, cricket pavilion and classroom huts and the railway line leading to Liverpool. I could choose country dancing or rugby. So I chose rugby, only to be told I couldn't play rugby because I was a girl. Well, I wasn't aware of this tradition, so it baffled me. I played hockey against the boys with shin pads and a gum shield, armed with a stick and a heavy, dangerous, flying fast ball. I was made to play in the freezing snow, in short pea game skirts and travel to various places to compete against girls and boys much bigger and much scarier than me, yet I couldn't choose rugby. Having been given the choice, what was that all about? To this day, I've never had an answer. The following break time, I went to the staff room and asked Mr Phillips, the PE teacher, if we could borrow a rugby ball. I was with a group of boys and we attempted our own badly played rugby game in uniform out of sight on the field around the corner. I mostly remember being knocked over and landing on the ground disorientated. However, I had been respected and included by my fellow peers, the boys. I was not a tomboy. I liked big party dresses and singing, dancing and listening to Kylie, wearing makeup and jewellery, perhaps even more so than some of the other girls. But it was just a sport, like hockey and karate, etc. We all had to join in with sport, music, plays and English-speaking... It was just the way we understood to join in. We watched a video upstairs with the class that afternoon. In a cosy area just off Matron Brickle's domain. I liked her, she was very strong, assured, and she knew what to do when I'd burnt my hand on a hot boiling tube in the strangely smelling science lab. I had a great respect for her, as my dad was a doctor and I felt that this was mutual. This afternoon, sitting relaxed on the floor, a male teacher remarked that everyone seemed to be a bit more muddy than usual. Well, we've been playing out playing rugby on the field, someone remarked. I can see that, but what I can't understand is why you, a girl, with normally pristine, painted black leather shoes, cleaned for me without a fuss by my dad, actually, would be so muddy, he said, inspecting my shoes which were poking out to the side from under a summer dress. Well, I said that's because the girls have been playing rugby too. Though no, now I'm not sure that being knocked over by a herd of boys counted as rugby strictly. Oh, he looked shocked. Pretty speechless, actually. No one got into trouble over it. However, I had broken the age-old unwritten rule. Perhaps for the first time, and quite easily it seemed without the word, the world ending or any consequences whatsoever. It was just a matter of fact to me. We did it and it was perfectly fine. As I sat experiencing further, far worse cruelty as a female adult, 
listening to Nicola Horlick tell the children that they could go to Oxford, having a career, um, and children if they wanted to. I sat there being mistreated by a mob of a few infiltrators with much worse negativity and discrimination against me as a woman and now mother and a fee-paying parent experiencing a more serious human rights abuse and things have become seemingly worse over time, not better. I got up, showed up and at that event in designer sunglasses and a bright bulb patterned Ted Baker pink and white dress and heels, I went as myself under my own esteem, believing that I had every right to be there and I'm glad I did too. That year, my son, soon to leave the school before it closed down, had been kidnapped from me. At that very school, I entrusted him to for the days. That school, my mother had trusted too to care for me as a child, and I had been let down by people and institutions who I had grown to trust. This led me to cope with the horrific ordeal and reevaluate who I could trust and what the world around me meant. They were lied to. Other monsters were involved. However, this was just the part of an ongoing pattern of evil which had gone before and is still happening today. This is one of the reasons I decided to write this book. Where there is evil in this world, we must rise above it and speak our goodness and truth. I have never lost hope, but I have lost all faith and respect for certain monsters and dangerous institutions along the way. In this I have forged my own way. I reject all toxic practices now. I have learnt when not to engage with them, when they do not serve people that they are supposed to. The excuses given by them are not acceptable to me. Just because parasites and liars, users, abusers and disordered individuals exist doesn't mean we should allow them into our lives or to take over. Corrupting good safe spaces will be their downfall. In this case, it was their downfall. Allow me to introduce you to my concept of cacotopia. January 2021, Sunday the 24th. Time is right to start the book at last, the true story of my beautiful boy's torture untold and the cruelty, ignorance, dismissal, injustice and mistreatment of a mother and child throughout over a decade. Time now to bring the truth to light finally. This is a true account based on a personal and true experience, records, videos, diaries, photographs. I have spent time both living the nightmare and piecing the puzzle together to reveal the truth of what happened. Cacotopia, the title represents, a state in which the worst possible conditions exist in government, law, society, etc. And it's inspired by a fond memory of my young son in junior school telling me that his Spanish school friend, Leonor, had taught him the word for shit, poop or bad. Caca. Caca combined with a recent interest in movies and books by the likes of Margaret Atwood, etc., in which familiar, relatable sense of misogynistic dystopia exists. The reference to what is being experienced by us in our own world. The big question when beginning this account, where to start? From the beginning? I thought about that, and then I decided I must start historically from evidence, not necessarily in chronological order. Some of the most beautiful stories experienced are told in sections 
conveying the PTSD style and disorientation. Others of a more historic genre in order. And I thought, why not combine the both? Try something new and most suitable to what I wish to achieve here overall. The Mummy Diaries to come and what they tell us. A brief impression of Family Court, an example of Cacotopia, written by a survivor of abuse after the experience. A 70s court, complete with brown velvet curtain in the backdrop, red torn leather chairs, cubic dirt trapping, old outdoor lighting on the walls. It's out of its time. The stench of body odour hangs outside in the waiting area, mixed with the occasional waft of cigarette smoke, cheap cigarette smoke from the entrance. Rooms have no windows. At least it's on the ground floor. The ground floor of one of England's airless, multi-storey blocks of capture and torment. Situated amongst the ugliness and the money-making car parks of the local council, this is home to the regular junkies that congregate daily on crumbling walls with mobile phones. Their restlessness and wasting lives, acting and looking busy, but sick. The juxtaposition of lawyers, abusers, victims and junkies going about their daily business in such a dour setting is ironic. The similarities, satirically, even more so. There is an air of greed, survival, dishonesty, carelessness and a health with health and life. A shuffling tension of nervousness and brazen egotistical um, disregard for humanity or beauty. Limbo land and the stopping of time. It's hot. It's a real summer July now. Yet time stopped Monday the 19th of March some months ago and I have achieved a physical, physically impossible. Items remain placed where they belong. Movement and time have ceased. The wheels of our bikes we intended to ride in the approaching spring and tennis we made plans to play cannot take place. Toothbrush and toothpaste sits where it always is, even though it hasn't been used. Bedroom is still untidy. Monday I was due to collect you from school at home and I was supposed to bring you home, cook your tea, rest in the knowledge that you were there safe and well and I have not collected you from school. It has either been the longest school day ever or time itself has temporarily stopped. Capture and imprisonment. You and I are imprisoned. Our voices have been captured and silenced. Yours more than mine, and I'm imprisoned in time. You are imprisoned from your mother and family. Your personality, joy and brilliant brain is trapped inside you and cannot escape. I am restricted by threats of isolation as you are. You talk to me of fear of capture and the matrix before you were taken. Now all I can compare your part vacant oppression and restricted state of self as a form of man-made locked-in syndrome induced by torture and trauma and survival of the current entrapment. Your silence is what the evildoers want to ensure. Having set the scene for some of the toxic environments still situated in the local region, I thought I would counterbalance this with those safe spaces I have found also. 
Some examples of this are the Freedom Programme, based on the book by Pat Craven, Living with the Dominator. My home inside, for the most part, during the COVID lockdown especially, WeMeditate.com and Sahaja Yoga Meditation Practice. Tomorrow's Women in Bag and Head. The counselling I received during the courses through it, my friends' and family members' homes and gardens, the beach, swing baths when they are open, art galleries, hairdressers, supermarkets and shops, online Zoom spaces to connect clients' homes, online learning. The new tools I learned from the courses helped me to manage and go on to further research self-care skills and map out my own individual recovery package for myself. So thank you all. You know who you are. The first hurdle to recovery I had to live through and cope through, go on to restore myself, was from the physical symptoms of stress, bullying and torture I had endured. From the precursor of mild upset nightmares, etc. and the initial recovery a decade ago, to the minor but growing mild fatigue and croaching, to the full-blown physical trauma symptoms I had to cope with after I was turned on by an abuser and a mob of professional abusers in March to May 2018. This continued and to a lesser direct extent still does. I had no relationship or attachment to the majority of this mob, nothing personally in common or real association. However, those institutions, relationship and few members with them all betrayed me. They broke my trust and spirit, the strangers who had a job to do and didn't do it. Still haven't even got started on it. Shame on them. They not only neglected their duties, but carried out harmful and life-altering cruel acts, for which we will all have to live with. This was done through a combination of ignorance, prejudice, incompetence, stupidity, laziness, lack of diligence, sadism, arrogance, hatred, misogyny, warped belief systems, toxic and inadequate failing systems from the top down and the bottom up inclusively. I now help victims and survivors of such abuse and domestic abuse. Often I am met with confused women who cannot make a sense or understand what has happened to them or why anyone would behave in the way that their abusers have. I have personally taken the time, energy and work with the help of an excellent lady called Julie, another called Andrea and Barbara, all who gave me a safe space and validation to piece together the jigsaw puzzle myself and to see the big picture by myself and for myself. Everyone has this jigsaw to put together after trauma and abuse. There may be pieces missing and they may feel overwhelmed. The pieces have been jumbled up and often they cannot begin to put it together. I put mine together Each piece was there and floating around in space or the cloud. I knew if I put it together, I would begin to see what the picture was and from the answers would become clear. Some of these jigsaw pieces, to make it even more difficult for me, were being hidden, deliberately lost, kept from me. It really was a naughty big collective bully monster that did this. I had to be very strong and brave. I remembered the dragon stories my son and I had read and watched as a child. 
the importance of those. I remember the Lego ones, the Kung Fu Panda ones, the Scarecrow Book of Adventures, the Mr. Men and Little Miss books, full of characters and characteristics. The film called Ratatouille, in which a rat called Remy dreams of becoming a chef when he is a rat, surrounded at first by a bunch of unsupportive rats. The Tale of Despero was another about a very brave little mouse. My son had been incredibly brave to endure the abuse of a horrible man and some awful services that failed him. I had helped him, supported him and pieced him back together. I was now left hoping that he could survive the next chapter alone and find his strength to escape and defeat the monster and monsters by himself. At the time of writing this, he is still entrapped, held hostage, prisoner. I have to remember that some of the greatest people in history have been at some time. That this particular monster had been escaped by others, an ex-fiancé or three, an ex-wife, a girlfriend and her child, victims at work, myself. Then that some had not escaped, his mother, the cats, currently my child. But I live in hope, in a thick of torment, in 2018 and 2019, I kept saying to my solicitor at the time, he is alive, I know where he is. Where there is life, there is hope, right? At the time when children go missing, never to be found, children die in the hands of these monsters. They die of other diseases or cancers, this cancer. This disease has been long-standing. Its threat ever looming. Captured him. He is not cured, but he is fighting, and so are we. The disease is, of course, the abuser and co. An apparent, insidious, parasitic, long-term disease feeding off its hosts. Malignant. The dominator, hostage-taker, controller. The cult leader, mob ruler, criminal. That is so ingrained into the corruption. You cannot seem to free your loved one from it. This creature belongs in our virtual zoo. It is dangerous and needs maximum security. Otherwise, if let loose without boundaries or limits, it will entrap its prey and hold them, abuse them and condition them through various tactics. Blackmail, emotional and financial, Threats, physical and psychological, torture methods, deprivation of food and sleep, forced routines of unreasonable and unattainable bizarre expectations. The rules change. The moods change. You will put on a show for the outside world and say what the entrapper wants you to. You will suffer the consequences otherwise. Until you cannot find the strength to resist, you are told lies until you believe them. The entrapper's snares extend out to stalking and collection of information on their victims before, during and after capture. They confuse their prey to disable them, like a semi-paralysing venom. Sometimes a dangerous predator, like the entrapper or dominator, will use a pack of animals to hunt its prey. If the prey is good at hiding or protecting itself or its young, these pack animals are often referred to as terms such as flying monkeys. 
They could be friends, family, teachers, lawyers, doctors, local community workers, social workers, religious leaders, anyone they can utilise and mobilise, individually but often in conjunction, to surround and attack you when they themselves cannot. Smear campaigns have often been on the go, false information deliberately placed, false documents, connections and networks form. They have formed an army of destruction. Before you can stop it, some are predators in their own rights. They have their own agendas, their own dysfunctional beliefs and behaviours. They want to push that on others. They do not care if it ruins lives. These are pack animals. They are also predators. They can be very obsessional, perfectionist, organised variety very psychopathic in nature, or they can be chaotic, muddle through, cause as much chaos and mess, and then deviously cover it up with the help of sociopathic types. I wouldn't class either as intelligent, just harmful. The first type I'm going to call a pitard. They should be kept in the virtual zoo too, probably in solitary confinement, segregated for everyone's safety. They will need space to run and mirrors to look at themselves. They are quite narcissistic and self-absorbed, though I look forward to further study on them. The second I will call an SS worker. These can be lumped together in the zoo in groups. They haven't the brains to coordinate, yet they can be collectively destructive in the wild. Once in my zoo, they will probably accept routine. They are given and they will mill about in the need for great, uh, without a great deal of stimulus. The mundane, stress-free environment, a bit of outdoor sunshine, should suit them well. Plenty of food, water, and company of similar creatures. Occasional wine box. However, if you place them in experiments of pressure or mild challenges, even simple tasks, you'll see a huge mood change and odd, volatile and devious behaviours. Should you, it should make for an interesting research. Maybe I could do an assessment on them for the public interest. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast. Um, I'm just writing this as a little bit of fun, as you can tell. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you can relate to some of the characters. And um, I look forward to hearing you on the next podcast. So please subscribe. Um, please rate this highly and take care and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.